Today on the science of virtue, our complicated relationship with being cheap. Frugality is a virtue we relinquish as soon as we can. Hi, I'm Ruthie Ackerman, the host of The Science of Virtue, a production of the 92nd Street Y. Every episode, we examine a different virtue, one of 13 that were identified by Benjamin Franklin almost 300 years ago as the keys to leading a better life and ultimately being a better citizen. Today's virtue is frugality, which Franklin defined as making no expense but to do good to others or yourself, waste nothing. But throughout our history, Americans have struggled with the idea of thrift. Do we celebrate it or shun it? We quote Franklin, a penny saved is a penny earned. But then we line up at department stores in the early morning hours of Black Friday and max out our credit cards. And isn't the American dream all about moving up the income ladder? Having the freedom to buy whatever you want, not just what you need? So what's the upside of being frugal? Financial independence is a true ingredient of happiness. When you're indebted, when you're enslaved to your, uh, your creditors, that's, that's not going to lead to a very secure and happy life. That's Lauren Weber, a reporter for the Wall Street Journal and the author of In Cheap We Trust, the story of a misunderstood American virtue. I asked Lauren how frugality intersects with living a virtuous life. Ben Franklin was brilliant for so many reasons, but one of them, I think, was that he made clear that the virtues themselves intersect with each other. So, you know, frugality is is related to moderation. It's related to prudence. And, and all these things together create a virtuous life. But in terms of frugality itself... You know, this idea of living beyond the moment, thinking beyond the moment, brings to mind the idea of a long life. So what do you want a long life to look like and feel like? It's not about instant gratification. It's really about what's important to you. So sort of thinking about how you spend your money, which is a, which is a decision that's laden with values, at value decisions, uh, I think that inspires one to think very, very deeply and deliberately about what's important. What are the things to spend money on? I know you talked a little bit about in the book about how you make your own detergent. So clearly you personally live a frugal life. I live a very frugal life. I learned at the feet of a master, my father, who was um, pathologically uh, frugal to some extent. Some would say cheap. Um, He didn't like to use the brakes on the car. uh, So he had this weird tapping system that he that he did to sort of conserve the brakes. Uh, He didn't like to use the the turn signals on the cars. So anyway, I I, I learned watching somebody who was quite extreme. Uh, I should also add that my father is also a very generous person. um, And so it was interesting to see how he balanced those things. But what do you so what do you spend money on? This is something I've struggled with my whole life. And I also get asked this a lot. Um, My answer when I was asked this a few years ago, when the book first came out, was um, winter boots, mental health, and physical health. So, you know, it sort of seems to me that, uh, first of all, without a health, you know, none of this really matters. Um, and then the winter boots, well, I mean, that's self-explanatory. <laughs> no, I, it's, I, I, was, I live in New York, so I spend a lot of time trudging through rain and snow and, and mud. And it's just really important to have comfortable feet and to have warm, dry feet. So I have spent as much as $400 on winter boots. But, you know, I learned the hard way that when you buy inexpensive or cheaply made boots, they will fall apart and you will regret it. And then spend more money later. And then spe- and then keep spending more money. So it is actually a wise decision financially even to just spend a lot up front. And I think that is one of the, the tough things about frugality is when do you spend a lot up front? And this is also where frugality starts to 
um, become very difficult if you're actually poor to begin with. You know, it is much cheaper if you're commuting every day on the New York City subways, much cheaper to buy a unlimited monthly metro card for $116, I think it is now, than to pay $275 for every every ride. Well, if you don't have that $116 uh, to spend at the beginning of the month, you end up spending a lot more money down the road. So, uh, you know, this is one of the unfortunate things where frugality in some ways favors people who, who already have money or who, were, who have been frugal from the beginning. You write in your book that in every era, Americans have indulged in the temptation to live beyond their means. So when you look at the American way of life, our values, where does frugality fit in or does it? We have always throughout our history had an extremely ambivalent relationship to this virtue. Um, we were very good at adopting it in times of national need, like you know during a, a world war, World War II, where we have to start conserving because every resource is going to the war effort. Um, and we're also very happy to drop that as soon as it becomes possible or convenient to drop it. So. Uh, you know, again, it's this very ambivalent relationship. And and we see that today even, you know, where on the one hand, we're constantly told, you know, the economy can't recover unless people go out and spend money. On the other hand, we're also told, oh, Americans are totally unprepared for retirement and Social Security is going to be gone. And so people have to save more and we're not saving enough. So we get lots of mixed messages. And that's always been the case. And often, as you point out, times when Americans have celebrated frugality, it's been more of need. Wars, the Great Depression, like you just said, than out of a moral inclination towards frugality. Well, I do think it is fascinating how we're willing to embrace this when embrace this idea of frugality when it's sort of attached to another imperative like like a war effort you know and in world war ii it was about planting victory gardens so that you don't have to you know buy vegetables because there were all the as much food as possible was going over to the war effort and yet it creates a lot of pent-up demand, as economists like to say, so that as soon as the war was over and, you know, there was a lot of money in people's pockets because the war put everybody to work who could work, um, the 50s were a time of really, truly unleashed spending when frugality became a very unpopular virtue. Um, and I, I like to bring up the fact that Donald Duck's cousin, or uncle, uh, Uncle Scrooge, that was a character created in 1947. And I think that sort of illustrates how this virtue of of thrift and frugality became kind of demonized, became a cartoon character um, that that was easy to make fun of rather than um, an admirable, it was no longer an admirable trait to save money. Um, you know, but you look at 9-11, what happened after September 11th, and the message was totally the opposite. We became a nation basically at war, but the message was go out and spend money. Don't stop shopping. Of course, that had its own negative consequences. Are there social causes that embody the virtue of thrift today? Today there are. They're, they tend to be, they tend to not get too much attention and be slightly underground. But um, in my book, I where I spent a lot of time with freegans uh, who are people who basically their goal is to live a moneyless life. So they'll dumpster dive for food or, you know, they basically like will dumpster dive for, for many, many things, uh, you know, clothes or food, um, you know, walk or bike instead of taking a subway or, or owning a car. Um, for some people, this is just a personal, for some of the freegans that I met, it's just a personal commitment. 
you know, sort of a, a, um, a commitment to frugality or to, for many of them, environmentalism. You know, that's a whole other side of this conversation about consumerism. Um, and for others, it's an extremely political statement to live like that. When you're talking about freegans, it's making me think about just the idea that time is currency and how much time it would actually take to be moneyless walking to work as opposed to taking the train or mm -hmm. making your detergent instead of just buying it. Can you talk about that tension between time and money? Sure. I mean, that's another thing, you know, another question that relates to this, where do you draw the line? I remember before the days of the unlimited Metro card, I would sometimes walk 30 blocks to save to my $2 on the subway. If I had the time, that's fine, you know, and I wasn't in a hurry. And it's a, actually an exercise and it's a great way to see the city. Um, but now I don't have that luxury anymore. And my life's a little busier. And yeah, it is a trade off as with all things. Do you want to knit your own sweater rather than going down the street and buying one at even at a thrift store? Um, you know, it's I think those those are those are the tough decisions that we make. It turns out that making laundry detergent is very easy and quick. So so that's really not much of a sacrifice. I, I have to say I don't really I don't do it anymore because um, I get better results with the <laughs> non-powder detergent. And I also have a child now, so my my priorities have have moved around a little bit. These are, these are just all personal choices and trade-offs. But I think sort of I think keeping it in mind as a if frugality and, and thrift is something that matters to you, then then you can sort of think about those decisions in a in a pretty considered way. Earlier, you were talking a little bit about Franklin and how he was a bit of a hypocrite. Sometimes he was very frugal and sometimes he wasn't. So maybe if you could just talk a little bit about that. Sure. Well, Ben Franklin was one of my favorite characters to write about and to read about in uh, for this book because he himself was so full of contradictions. Um, not, and not only that, he's also very, very funny. So, you know, he was preaching frugality to... Uh, you know, his 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 audience, which was very broad, he owned a printing press, so he could basically write whatever he wanted to say and publish it. But when he was the ambassador to France, he was sort of, he was known for sending bolts of silk fabric home to his wife. He was uh, constantly uh, buying things. I think in Paris, he was known as being kind of a libertine. And so, you know, he, he, embodies some of the ambivalence that I think we as a country show towards this virtue of frugality. But, you know, he also could afford it. He was a very wealthy man. He retired from his business, I think, when he was about 40. So, you know, do we consider that profligate? Well, you know, he didn't live outside of his means. So if frugality is living inside your means, how do you measure frugality if you have great means, if you're wealthy? So like a Bill Gates or a Warren Buffett? Yeah, I always wonder about that. And I would love to ask them that same question. Warren Buffett is a great example because he's famously frugal. And uh, I think the story goes, he still lives in the house that he's been in for about 30 years or so. Uh, but I, I, you know, I, that's a question that I struggle with. So you know, what does frugality mean if you've got a ton of money? Is it really just about living within or outside of your means? Um, and the important thing is to live within your means? Or is it really about just spending modestly? And and I think I, I lean towards that latter one. You know, I think it's about being thoughtful about what you need versus what you want. Um, and 
living modestly, living prudently, as as Ben Franklin might say. And where does giving back fit into this? Because you mentioned we're talking about Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, so I think about how much they give back in terms of their philanthropy. I don't know if, if where that fits into the conversation around frugality. That's a good point. And I think that both for Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, based on their actions, giving back is clearly a, a huge um, value for them. And so when you think about what's the end of their frugality, or I don't know if Bill Gates is frugal, but, you know, it's clear that both of them have this, had this desire to give away a lot of money. And look at what they've done in the world. You know, Bill Gates is like single-handedly fighting malaria. Well, not single-handedly, but he is uh, putting unbelievable resources towards saving many other people's lives. I think that's so admirable. Um, You know, he could have homes in every state in America and every country in the world. And who knows, maybe he does. But it's clear that he he there is a value beyond enjoying his own money himself um, that he lives by. And, you know, I, I've said before, my, my father was uh, an extremely frugal man, but he was also extremely generous. And all my life, he is uh, made it a point to give money to organizations that he cares about. He also volunteers his time a lot. And I think that seeing that in concert with his thrift helped me see this as a virtue, you know, and helped me see, okay, it's not an end in itself. Thrift for him was a means to being able to support his family and uh, give us the gift of education and, and other things, and and also to be able to support the causes that the, that he cares about. And I try to live my life that way, too. And that's one of the things that Franklin mentioned when he talks about the virtues in his autobiography. He says the idea is to develop these personal virtues, but it's about then turning them outwards towards his community and, and being a good citizen. So I think what you're talking about really fits into that. And these are modern-day Franklinites that mm-hmm. you're talking about. And we all, uh, those of us who give back are too. So I, I really love that, uh, that example. So mm-hmm. thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you. More reason to love Ben Franklin. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Lauren Weber is a reporter for The Wall Street Journal. She's the author of In Cheap We Trust, the story of a misunderstood American virtue. Thanks for speaking with me today, Lauren. Thanks for having me. I'm Ruthie Ackerman. This is The Science of Virtue, a production of the 92nd Street Y. It was recorded at the Argo Studio in New York City. Thank you for listening.